The Liberals Gun Corner, a proud progeny of the Gun Rights Radio Network, hosted by Cowboy T, San Francisco liberal with a gun. This podcast is always available at www.liberalsguncorner.com, and you can email us at cowboyt at liberalsguncorner.com. Cowboy T here. Welcome to B50, I mean, the episode 52. <laughs> Sorry, that was the old Air Force days talking. I was just remembering something that happened back when I was in the Air Force Tech School. This was, I don't know, way back when Lowry Air Force Base existed, right between Denver, Colorado, and a suburb called Aurora. They closed the base down sometime in, what, the late 90s or maybe the year 2000? Somewhere around there. Anyway, back when it was an Air Force technical training base and I was a young electronics and calibration student there, we were standing outside in formation. Still morning. Well, we heard this, oh, how did Ross Perot put it? Ah, yeah, this this great big sucking sound. (laughs) Actually, yeah, that's exactly what it was. We heard this huge, and I mean huge, sound of air being sucked into something. And it was loud. And then this gigantic thing with wings and Eight jet engines at full blast just goes right over the top of us, uh, slightly banging to the right, as I recall. What followed that big sucking sound of air was this thunderous jet blast. Folks, I think that B-52 couldn't have been more than 500 feet above us. No, I don't mean 500 yards. I mean 500 feet. I just know that crew there in that cockpit had to be smiling. (laughs) Basically, they knew good and well they were giving us young airmen a show. Let me tell you something, folks. That was pretty doggone impressive. The B-52, well, yeah, I'd heard of it, of course. But it never really held me in awe until that moment. We all just kind of stood there, mouths hanging wide open. And at some point, we figured out we really needed to actually go into class. (laughs) I'll always remember that. And, you know, while I doubt those B-52 pilots are, you know, listening to this podcast episode, you know, podcast episode podcast podcast episode stole it under the weather well fellas if by some off chance you are thanks that was a great memory of an awesome flying machine <laughs> imagine that flying over isil or the taliban bomb doors open <laughs> oh i like that thought yeah that's something that keeps me warm at night well It's also one of the things that kept both the Soviet Union and Chairman Mao's Red China in check for so many years, folks. Oh, yeah. They knew that along with all the other stuff in the American arsenal, we had those, too. And uh, those could carry and deliver some really big bombs. That's the kind of plane that Michael Clint used to fly when he transitioned over from the B-29. His next airplane was the B-52. Yep, the Strato Fortress. And at least one of his missions included the carrying and possible dropping of two thermonuclear bombs. This is late, you know, like, like in 1954. Yeah, had the Korean armistice not been signed when it was, this mission of his was declassified at some point in the late 90s. Had that armistice not been signed when it got signed, there would have been problems. Cousin, because... He was ordered to go into radio silence at a certain point. 
and he would have dropped his bombs no matter what. I remind you, these are thermonuclear bombs now. We're talking the hydrogen bombs, the, the then new hydrogen bombs, the really big ones. Well, fortunately, they signed the armistice in time. Next thing they did was they gave him orders to turn his plane around and come home with about an hour to spare. Now, that's a heavy-duty mission, folks. And Uncle Clint had the, uh, oh, if you will, the brass ones to do it if he had had to. Fortunately, he didn't have to. You know, come to think of it, he left us right around the same time Lowry Air Force Base got shut down and turned into a corporate park. You see, in addition to being a Korean War vet, he was also a World War II vet. Flew and fought in the Pacific Theater. And oh boy, let me tell you something, folks. Did I feel honored to be able to wear my own Air Force uniform for him. I'd told him while I was still in high school that I was enlisting, and when I came home on leave, don't you think I didn't wear my uniform over to his house and Aunt Irene's house? Oh yeah, baby, I did. He was probably my biggest inspiration to go ahead and enlist. By then, by that point, of course, he'd long since been retired from the Air Force Reserves as a major, and he lived a nice, quiet, good life surrounded by family. Matter of fact, that's how he left us, too. Turns out the family was all there. It was just one day where all the family was there. It was somewhere around August 98. He was in his rocking chair, surrounded by Aunt Irene, my cousins Gail, Laura, and Lindy, and, and their kids, you know, running around playing there in the house as kids will do. He just fell asleep there in his chair with a smile on his face and never woke up right there in his chair. We all got to go at some point, folks. None of us gets out of life alive, unfortunately. So the only other way to go that could be that good the way he did would have, would have to be in the arms of the love of your life. That's the only thing I can think of that could possibly match that. And just like you'd expect, the old war hero was buried with full military honors, as befits a man who did what he did to defend this country. You know, I'm proud and fortunate to be part of a family that includes him. I got lucky. What Uncle Clint re represents and why I told you about him. Well, that's what the Doolittle Raiders, and there's only one of them left now, the Tuskegee Airmen, the Navajo Code Talkers, the 100th Infantry Battalion of Japanese Americans, General Patton's Third Army, the, the, the first aerial recon units like Colonel John Blythe flew, Today's NORAD, uh, General Black Jack Pershing's Doughboys of World War I, uh, General Grant's Union Army of the Civil War, General George Washington's Regular Army, today's armed forces. You know, we're talking people like Captain Will Swenson, Sergeant Dakota Meyer, Corporal Kyle Chicks Dig Scars Carpenter, his own self-description, by the way, Sergeant First Class Melvin Morris, Lieutenant and later Senator Bob Kerry, all of them. They represent the sword that defends this country. Why am I thinking about all this? Well, folks, consider what day it is. It's hard not to think about that. Today, folks, is the 4th of July, Independence Day. Today, our nation turns 240 years old. Seems like a long time, doesn't it? You know, to us. But actually, that's pretty young compared with, you know, a whole lot of other countries out there. We're still a you know, a pretty young and dynamic culture. And it seems we're getting more and more dynamic as time goes. 
It's been said that we're the world's great experiment in large-scale, democratically-elected republicanism, something to that effect. Well, it's true. We're not a democracy. Not quite. No, we're not. I don't care what people in politics say. We're not a democracy, and they know better. Rather, we're a republic. Now, we use democratic elections to hire people to represent us in our seat of government. We don't always do a very good job of choosing people to do that, admittedly, and that does reflect in our current state of affairs. We're less than we could and should be. We're far from perfect, folks. But I'll tell you something else, too. Apparently, we're good enough that all sorts of people want to come here and very few seem to want to leave. Those who do want to leave, well, they're, of course, free to do so. And the few actually do. Yeah, this is America. We have that liberty here. But it's not very many that want to leave. Even with our faults, folks, and we got plenty, we're pretty darn good. Now, there is one thing I'd like to see, though, for the immediate near future, and that's a higher voter participation rate. Not enough people vote. We should be seeing well over 90% voter participation rates here in a nation like ours. It's not just a right, folks. Uh Uh-uh. It's more than that. It's a duty, too. If you're a citizen who can vote and you don't go vote, well, then, as far as I'm concerned, you failed in your duty. Yeah, you did. Hey, I'm busy, too, folks. Believe me. My mother will tell you just how busy I am. You know, come to think of it, you know, just last week she was telling me I ought to slow down some. Just last week. But even with that, I still made the time to vote. Make the time, folks. And the thing you should keep at the forefront of your mind as you go vote is your rights. I mean preserving them. That means local government too, folks, not just national. It means your mayor your city or county councils, your boards of supervisors, like what we have here. It means your, lo- your, your school board. That's the government level that actually affects you every day. Whether you happen to notice it or not, it's true. Your kids can tell you all about that, especially if they go to your local public schools. So voting matters, folks. Do like I do and make the time for it. Even if it means taking off, you know, a few hours off of work to go vote, you need to go vote. And speaking of preserving rights, when we come back, let's have a little short talk about why being able to make our own ammunition matters. Because it does. See you soon.
We're back. Longer time listeners will know that I make my own ammunition. It's called hand loading or reloading. My website logs show that plenty of people continue to reference my how-to videos on how to do this. That's kind of cool. Of course, that's the point. You're supposed to be looking at them. That's why I put them up there. I made these videos some years ago, and it was with the new reloader in mind. But some of you may, you know, may be wondering, though, why would you feel the need to make your own ammo? You know, isn't that dangerous? Why not just go to the gun store, you know, the sporting goods store, your local Walmart for ammo? Fine questions, fair questions. Well, there are a few reasons. First and foremost, it's a right that we have. It's part of the Second Amendment. Our legislators have made attempts to ban ammunition sales or make it close enough so that it's an effective ban. Yes, Senator Ked Tennant, there's my list Dexia again, sorry. Ted Kennedy put it back in 1975, and I quote, No ammo, no guns. Another traitor to the Constitution, a California state senator named Kevin DeLeon, who's apparently doing well politically there for some reason, he's been trying the same strategy for a few years now, and he almost succeeded back in 2011. It's called Assembly Bill or AB 962. I've talked about it before. Should something like that ever happen, then we'll pretty much have to roll our own. I've been telling Californians for the last five years now to consider getting a press. Second reason, ammo might not always be available, even without ammo ban laws or regulations on the books. Say there's another ammunition rush. This has happened before. And it most certainly will happen again if it starts looking like Hillary Clinton is going to win the upcoming presidential election this year. It happened in 2008 when Barack Obama won. And it happened again after the, that, that horrific act of terrorism at Sandy Hook Elementary School in December 2012, right after the, the, the re-election. If Mrs. Clinton starts pulling ahead, you won't be able to find anything in, oh, several chamberings. 223 Remington, 9mm, 40, probably 45 as well. Oh, oh, good luck finding any 308 Winchester either. Oh, and there'll probably be um, also be a run on semi-automatic firearms like we haven't seen since the Sandy Hook massacre, especially things like AR-15s and Kalashnikovs. So don't always count on ammo being in your local store. The ability to roll your own ensures that you still have ammo to practice with. Third reason, hand-loading or reloading allows you to choose the strength and power of the cartridge. Yeah, you don't have to go just with what the factory sells you. Oh, no. You can make your own custom loads. For example, 38 Special is a pretty light load generally. You know, it doesn't kick very hard. That's one reason why the cops carried 38 Specials for decades. It's good. It's effective. And it doesn't, you know, kill your hand when you fire the darn thing. But it turns out you can go higher or lower power, within reason, of course, from what the factories sell us. Here's an example. Great example. I have a light 38 special load for marksmanship practice. I've discussed it before. Well, it also works very well for these new featherweight revolvers and, you know, makes them kick less. Also, women love this load. It's a great way to get them to start handgun shooting if you don't have a, a 22 pistol handy, which, as it happens, I don't. I don't have a 22 pistol. So, instead, I use this. Works wonders. There is a reason my camera lady, Miss BHC, loves to shoot this load. It's easy. Heck, I like to shoot the load, too. 
Now, I've also gone the other way with 45 Colt ammunition, and uh, I didn't, uh, you know, power it down. No, no, I powered it up. I created a magnum loading of that classic cowboy cartridge. Now, I'm no fool. I'll, I use this only in guns strong enough for such a load, and that generally means Ruger revolvers or Thompson Center single-shot pistols. Oh, yeah, it's very powerful. And, oh, yeah, it goes bang very loudly. <laughs> I love it. The point here is you can make whatever load is right for you. Rifle shooters, by the way, have a whole nother reason to reload. Oh, yeah. They do it so that they can tune their loads specifically for their own rifles. I've done this. What happens when you do it is you get better precision. And that means smaller groups and more points in your competition. Or if you're shooting long range, you can actually hit that gong. You know, make it go bong. Or the game animal, which is, of course, what the gong's really there to represent. Yes, folks, people have and do have shot and do shoot game animals like mountain goats and hard-to-reach deer at long ranges successfully. And they had a good rifle with a good hand load created specifically for that rifle. There are records. Matter of fact, there's a YouTube video of a 12-year-old kid successfully dropping an elk at three-quarters of a mile away with a perfect shot. And he's not the only one. Far from it. Hand-loading makes that possible. Well, okay, along with a lot of practice time on the range, too. Yes. But Cowboy T, isn't it expensive? I've read on the Internet that you've got to spend $500 and up just on the press. This is without anything else. Isn't that the case? Isn't it big bucks just to get started? Well, Cowboy T answers, Oh, goodness, no. You don't have to do that any more than you just gotta run right out and get, you know, the Mercedes or BMW or Lexus as your first car. No. For most people, a Honda, Toyota, Ford, Chevy, Volkswagen will do just fine. Same with presses. Something like a Lee Classic Tour Press would serve the vast majority of shooters out here very, very well. How do I know that? I got one myself, so I speak from experience. You can get those for just over 100 bucks if you shop even halfway carefully. Heck, folks, I still use my little cheapy $30 single-stage press a lot. Yeah, I do. I got a buddy who uses his RCBS Rock Chucker single-stage to do everything. And that includes his handgun loads. This press has to be at least 45 years old by now. The point is, have something. Be able to make some ammo. Preferably the stuff you shoot most of... You know, most of the time. For me, by the way, that's 38 Special. And get a couple of good reloading manuals. I like Lyman's and Lee's publications as general purpose load reference books. They're quite good. The big takeaway here. The right to keep and bear arms also means having ammunition, too. And the Supreme Court has actually mentioned this. A gun's no use without ammunition. As Senator Ked Tennedy... There I go. There's my list, my list Dexia again. As Senator Ted Kennedy said back then, no ammo, no guns. So make sure you have or can make some ammo. Check out the website www.sanfranciscoliberalwithagun.com for some information showing just how easy it is to do this. You might be surprised at just how difficult it's not. We'll return shortly. 
I was just reminded of something from a couple of years ago. You remember the the Ferguson, Missouri events, you know, the Michael Brown shooting? Well, the antis keep saying that we, the people, don't need guns. Only the police and military need guns. You know, all that stuff. Oh, really? Well, I guess Missouri State Senator Jamila Nasheed, a black woman, by the way, didn't seem to think that applied to her. Uh Uh-uh. Turns out during the Ferguson protests, uh, she was arrested. And she was found to be carrying her 9mm pistol. Yeah! She had a gun. Furthermore, she had a conceal and carry permit, so she was doing it legally. Ironically, this very same state senator has been behind all sorts of anti-gun legislation uh, there in Missouri. She's an anti, oh yeah, big time. Yet here she is packing a 9mm. Now, why is it significant that she's black? Uh, she's in the South. Duh. (sighs) Definitely needs a gun, especially if you're in the South and you're black. I fully support her right to defend herself from the the same kind of evil that attacked my dad and others like him all those times. Absolutely. Here's what I don't support. Her attitude of guns for me, but not for thee. Now, that's not cool. And even worse, she's actually proud of her double standard. And that's the problem with people in power, like her, when we, the people, don't insist that they actually stick to the Constitution. That's what happens when people in power don't get punished by being voted out of office by us, the people, when they violate their oaths of office. Not to mention just the common decency of being consistent. She thinks she's oh so special, eh? She's just a special snowflake, is she? Huh? Is she? Well, I think I'm way more special than she is. Of course I do. It's my life I'm thinking about now. And I ain't giving up my guns. Just like her, I demand my right of choice to carry too. Here's the difference. I also demand that right for you as well, not just for me. Speaking of which... <laughs> Several months ago here in Virginia, the Democrat-controlled administration did some pretty bad things, and I mean pretty bad things, when it comes to our rights under the Second Amendment. Now, my fellow liberals, before you get your dander up too much, I know a lot of you, maybe most of you, do vote Democrat. Probably feels like I'm insulting, you know, quote-unquote, our team here. Well, not really. Uh-uh. The Democrats say stop being liberal a long time ago, unfortunately. I remember when there were truly liberal Democrats. I'm just old enough to remember that. Hmm. You know, and, Re- and Republicans, for that matter, come to think of it. Yeah, I remember when the Brian Schweitzers of the world were much more common. Unfortunately, as the song says, things ain't what they used to be. They have changed, and it ain't that way anymore. So don't get upset with me for getting on the Democrats about gun rights. Unfortunately, it's true. They really have become the party of gun control. And remember what we talked about with regard to any right being attacked like that. Any right. Not good. So, sadly, I'm only telling the truth when I speak like this. The Democrats in Virginia here in question are as follows. One, Governor Terry McAuliffe. And two, Attorney General Mark R. Herring. 
Due to what they've done, I tend to refer to Governor McAuliffe, excuse me, as Governor McAwful for his shameless selling out to Michael Bloomberg and the Clinton family. And Attorney General Herring, well, seems his middle initial R must stand for the word red, as in red herring. Why? Because that's what he does. He tries to pull red herring arguments all the time, especially when it comes to the Second Amendment. Y'all may remember when Virginia lost reciprocity for gun carry with a bunch of other states you know, some months ago. We talked about that in a, you know, back then uh, when it happened, too. Well, that was Attorney General Red Herring's doing, with McAwful's blessing and encouragement, of course. See, that was their payback seat of Bloomberg for all that funding that they got for their re-election campaigns. Excuse me, their election campaigns. This is the first time that they're doing it, and hopefully the last Well, along with McAwful's earlier actions like banning carry of any sort, open or concealed, in state executive agencies, um, Attorney General Red Herring's action got gun owners really riled up. Turns out, yeah, McAwful had actually overstepped his legal authority, and I understand that legal action about this is pending with regard to carry in state agencies. Well, after this Red Herring Act taking away our reciprocity with all those other states, too... Virginia residents started calling their state delegates and senators en masse. Basically, the people, we the people, got riled up and started acting. We told our state delegates and state senators to fix this now. What this did was it caused the Republican majorities in the Virginia General Assembly to make it very clear to the governor that he would get nothing done unless he backed down from this craziness. The result, something we call the deal, was worked out. Not only did we get our our reciprocity back with all these other states, we got it back even better than we used to have it. Oh, yeah. In return? Well, you know, there's got to be some kind of return, right? McAwful got a few token things so he could, you know, save some pride and crow uh, to, his, to his base about it. Well, it turns out that what he got was simply duplication of already existing federal law. In other words, what he got doesn't actually have any additional effect. In short, we won. We spanked him hard. Three days ago, on July 1st, Virginia began to recognize and honor carry permits from everywhere else. That's right. Anywhere where they issue carry permits, we'll honor them. Anywhere in the United States. The result is that other states who have rules that say, we'll honor yours if you'll honor ours, well, now we've got reciprocity with them, too. And we hadn't had that before. This is new. This is good. We've been trying to get this for years. And finally, we got it. This is what happens when we, the people, actually get off of our backsides and do our jobs as citizens. We win. There are a few other slight improvements to Virginia law regarding firearms, too, that took effect on July 1st, too. Yeah. But that reciprocity one is the real big one. So, all you permit holders, all you permit holding, holding visitors from other states, come to Virginia. You can legally carry here now and actually protect yourself, just like my dad did throughout his life. You can do that here now. Yeah. And it's about time. We like to say that Virginia is for lovers. It's one of our state slogans. And 
Oh, yeah, it's true. Especially for those lovers who love their own lives, their family's lives, their friends' lives, all that. Yeah. Does crime exist in Virginia? Sure, of course it does. That's universal anywhere you go, unfortunately. But I'll tell you something else. It's a lot lower here in Virginia than it is across the Potomac River in either Maryland or Washington, D.C. We can carry here. Generally speaking, they can't there. If you're a crook, think about this. If you're a crook, where would you go if you wanted to rob someone with that in mind? Well, let me give you a little insight on that. Turns out I'm an information security engineer. I guard computer systems for a living. I protect computer systems for a living. Basically, I'm a professional hacker. You can sort of look at it that way. And as a professional hacker, I get paid to think like a crook so that I can stop them from breaking into computer systems. People hire me to do this. I get paid to think like that every day, and I'm good at it. I have to be. It's my job. Any police officer or locksmith will tell you the same thing. The best cop knows how to think like a crook. So, as someone who gets paid to think like that, I'd tell you that a crook will be a doggone fool to try breaking into a home in Virginia. Absolute foolish tomfoolery to try that here. That burglar is likely to end up much worse for the wear. That assumes that the burglar even survives. Remember, we've got guns here in Virginia. Bang, bang. Much better to take your chances in Maryland, or especially the District of Columbia. Yeah, our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. How ironic. Why is that? Because it's because you got to go through major changes. You know, a big-time rigmarole, rigmarole just to legally buy and own a gun there. That's right. I ain't talking about carry. I'm talking mere ownership and possession. You got to ask the D.C. government, mommy, may I, just to own a gun at all if you live there. Just to have one. Maybe that's why so much of Washington, D.C. has that bad reputation that it does when it comes to crime. Kind of like Chicago. We'll go into a little more detail of why that needs to change with a real-world example soon as we get back. Stay tuned. talking about crooks, where they tend to attack, and why they attack there. Remember, to be a good cop, you've got to be able to think like a crook, too. And crooks generally prefer gun-free zones like Chicago or Washington, D.C. Like I was saying before the break, maybe that's why Chicago, and for that matter, D.C., our nation's capital, 
have the bad reputations for crime that they do. Maybe that's how that murder of a congressional intern could happen. That's right. A congressional intern got murdered last year. Just last year. Uh, doesn't look like he was specifically targeted either. You know, it was, it was looks like it was just a robbery gone bad. And unfortunately, he just happened to be the target this time. It was on the Metro. That's Washington, D.C.'s version of New York's subway or San Francisco's BART. This intern... His name was Kevin Sutherland. Remember that name. He was just sitting on the metro, minding his own business. Well, uh, there was this murderous thug who decided to pull his knife and stab Kevin Sutherland, this intern. Like I said, we think it was a robbery attempt gone awry, and he just happened to be the target this time. It wasn't a, oh, he's a congressional intern, let's get him. No, it wasn't like that. He was just the unfortunate victim of of a terrible circumstance. Terrible circumstance. Now, here's the thing. Since the metro goes right through Washington, D.C., and Washington, D.C. is a gun-free zone, nobody else on that train dared to challenge this knife-wielding murderer. Oh, he was reportedly threatening other people, too, by the way. Kevin Sutherland died from those knife wounds. He's dead. They buried him last year. You know, I can't help but wonder what Katie Couric thinks of that one, given what she said about people not dying from knife wounds. We talked about that last episode. I'd like to see what she says now. Folks, that wasn't just a murder, but a grisly, torturous murder. I wouldn't wish that on anyone, folks. Even my worst enemy, I wouldn't wish that on him. And this happened right in our nation's capital, too. Yeah. Downtown D.C., it was the Noma Gallaudet University stop on the Metro Rail's red line. I know exactly where that is, too, because it's not far from Capitol Hill, where I used to work once upon a time. Yeah, that's right. This is almost within spitting distance of my old office. That close. And yes, there were other people on that train in that very same car before you ask. Yes, there were. Did any one of those people dare to try to stop this knife-wielding murderer? (laughs) What do you think? Of course not. He had a knife. Nobody else there is allowed to have a gun. And I remind you that Washington, D.C. is still one of the murder capitals of this country, unfortunately. I think Chicago passed it per capita in the last few years, but D.C. is still up there. So, given that, kind of makes you wonder, why in the world do people live there? Jobs. Political jobs government contracting jobs, all sorts of things related to the operation of the federal government. Federal government always has money. Of course they do. It's a government that's called tax revenue. And therefore, there are always jobs around there. Also remember, people want to be around power so that maybe they can get some too. I just got through telling you I used to work at Capitol Hill, so I saw this all the time. Oh, and there's another mindset among a lot of people that goes along with all of this especially the folks in these high-powered offices. goes like this. That won't happen to me. That kind of thing only happens to those other people. Yeah, I'm sure Kevin Sutherland probably thought the same thing, too. It'll never happen to me. And now, tragically, horribly, he's dead. Because it did happen to him. It 
did happen to him. Can't imagine what his family is still going through a year later and probably will be going through for the rest of their lives because it did happen to him. That terrible thing. But now you know why people live there. They want the money. They want access to the power. And so they're willing to take that risk. It's that simple. It's amazing what power and money will, will do you know, for people's motivations. And that's also why, by the way, the Pink Pistols' legal victory over the District of Columbia earlier this year matters so much. I posted a link to that up on the Facebook page last week. It's because of what I just told you about what happened last year with the murder of that congressional intern, with the murder, murder of Kevin Sutherland. I really hope this legal victory goes the distance, too, because the people of D.C. have the same natural rights of self-defense that we here in Virginia have. Sure they do. Of course they do. Kevin Sutherland might still be alive if a good guy, like me, for example, in that train had a gun to stop that murderer. I want to remind you of something else, too. Remember, folks, D.C. is also affectionately known as Chocolate City. That's because of the high percentage of black people who live there. Remember what I've been saying before about how black Americans should be the most pro-Second Amendment of all Americans? Remember that? Remember I've been saying that all this time? Well, D.C.'s horrible crime rate is Exhibit 1 for your consideration. Because we don't have crime rates like theirs here in Virginia, even in our cities. We just don't. As Arsenio Hall used to put it, a little something to make you go, hmm... Finally, D.C. was forced legally to issue carry permits. The judge told him, look, you have to allow either open or concealed carry. Got to choose at least one or it's a Second Amendment violation. So they had to be dragged, kicking and screaming and throwing temper tantrums. True. But now that D.C. actually issues carry permits to very few people, yes, but they do. News reporter Emily Miller can now legally carry in D.C. with her D.C. permit. That's a good thing, given that she lives there. Yeah. Yep, they issued Emily her permit, basically to try to shut her up and make her just go away. (laughs) I guess that's what you do when you're facing someone who buys ink by the barrel. (laughs) But they did issue it to her. So Emily can now legally carry her legally purchased gun to defend herself. And that's a good thing. Oh, furthermore, since Virginia now accepts all other carry permits, remember we just mentioned that, like we talked about before? Emily can now legally carry here in Virginia, too, with her D.C. permit. This is America, and that's how it should be. It's slow going sometimes, folks, but we're getting there. We are getting there. It's just like Martin Luther King Jr., who also applied for his own concealing carry permit back in the day, put it. And I quote, if you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But by all means, keep moving. Close quote. And we are. We are moving. And we're moving toward liberty. Because we the people are doing our jobs and we need to keep doing them. We cannot let up. This is Cowboy T signing off. On this, our country's 240th birthday... Until the next time. Till then, safe shooting. Practice often. Enjoy the fireworks safely. Think about why this country exists and the liberties that we have here. Seriously, think about that. 
and thanks for listening. See you next time.